0: This survey was done by PwC and it said that 65% of um, the workforce is currently looking for a new job. And that number goes up if the company announces that they're going to make them come back into the office full time.
1: Hello, and welcome to Love as a Business Strategy, a podcast that brings humanity to the workplace. We're here to talk about business, but we want to tackle topics that most business leaders shy away from, and we believe that humanity and love should be at the center of every successful business. We want to have conversations and hear stories about how real people and real businesses operate. And I'm your host, Jeff Ma, and I'm joined again today by my co-host, Chris Petrie. Hey, Chris.
2: How's it going? Hello. Hello. How's your week going, man? So far, so good. Busy is always good, you know? (laughs) Agreed. Agreed. Our guest
1: today is Casey Haston. Casey is an executive recruiter, executive coach, and a hiring guru. She's currently working as a director of recruiting at VIP, and she also hosts the We Are VIP podcast. And we're excited to have Casey here with us today to help us connect the dots between the recruiting process, recruiting, HR, all that, and of course, love. Welcome to the show, Casey. How are you?
0: I am fantastic, and thank you so much for having me today. I'm excited to be here with you guys.
1: Likewise. You know, know, we always um, start with random um, icebreaker questions. I had trouble picking this one today, so I hope you all can appreciate it. Um, Chris, you can go first. Um, What's your best tip for avoiding distractions when working from home?
2: Embrace them. <laughs> no, I think I've, I've talked to people about this before, but um, I think that in this new reality of work, hybrid work, um, but also the reality that you can't really compartmentalize life and work anymore, I think that distractions are going to happen and for me we spend so much energy and mental focus trying to keep the distractions away instead of just allowing those distractions right so if your kids interrupt you to say hi or ask you for a snack just go ahead and get (laughs) you know they're going to keep interrupting right um but also if you are distracted maybe that's a a warning or a sign that you need a break, that you need to actually get up and go and take care of something or do something, right? You know, get out of the house, whatever. So, I, my tip is to embrace those distractions and don't keep trying to fight them off because you waste more energy trying to avoid distractions that are inevitable. Nice. Casey, are you working
1: from home?
0: I, I'm I'm working on a hybrid schedule right now. So I do two days at home and three days in the office and I have probably the biggest distraction. I'm, you know, I'm an empty nester, so I don't have to worry about kids, but I have two little fur babies Mm. that are very, very loud and think that they have to protect me from the blowing leaves, the squirrels, (laughs) everything. And so they tell me about it quite a lot. And so one of the things that I've done to really kind of minimize distractions is I use focus music. So, binaural beats with, and I like the binaural, binaural beats with the bass tones. And I can put in my earbuds if I'm not having to be on the phone. And just, I mean, I don't know how, what it is about that music, but it just like, I just zero in on what I'm doing and they can go bark mm. all day.
1: I thought you're putting on some special music for the dogs. I was like, oh, I do that like too. Some-
0: <laughs> <laughs> there is a channel that is called um, Calming Anxiety Music for Dogs. Oh, my. For real.
2: That's
1: awesome. Awesome. Chris, you can try that for Kirby sometime.
2: Yeah. I have a fur nephew um, that you can sometimes hear in the background, but um, he is usually downstairs and I'm upstairs. But his his bark's whatever. He's, you know, less than 10 pounds, but his bark carries like he's, you know, 100 pounds.
0: Same. So,
2: So you're just like it's going on. And again, it's around the mailman, Amazon delivery, right?
0: (laughs) UPS, they hate UPS.
2: UPS. (laughs) A neighbor, right? Like, oh my gosh, the wind move, right? Like it was exactly any little thing just sets them them off.
1: All right, let's jump in Casey. um, I always want to start here. But I want to hear a little bit and we're, we're here to talk about kind of like you have so much experience so much expertise in recruiting. Can you just lightly draw us the path that got you there. Like where, where's your passions? Where do your passions lie in recruiting and how did you get here?
0: So not my first career. Um, I definitely made a career pivot and I so wish that I had been an assessment junkie when I was younger, cause I would have known never to have gone into my first career, which was accounting. And <laughs> Yeah, I know. Can you see me as an accountant? Come on, But I did it for a long time. I stuck it out because I was like, this is the path I've chosen. Right. And so I did that for about 20 years. And then um, I was looking for a job. I'd been with the company for 13 years that ended up closing and I was looking for an accounting job and I ended up going to recruiters. Um, First time I'd ever had to go to recruiters. Every other time I'd always been handpicked for my next role. Right. And I'm going to these recruiters and let me tell you something. I'm, I'm in the DFW area. I think I found every bad recruiter first before I found one good one. And there's a big difference between, you know, a good recruiter and a bad recruiter. And we can talk a little bit about that in a moment. But when I finally found a good recruiter, one that listened, one that used love as business strategy, she really talked to me. I mean, we talked for about an hour and a half where most recruiters would meet with you for like 15 minutes. How are they going to learn what it is that's going to make your life whole in your next job in 15 minutes. Right. Mm. So at the end of the conversation, she looked at me and she goes, you know, you don't even like accounting, Casey. And I went, oh, what am I going to do? And she goes, come recruit with me. And I went and shadowed her for a day. And by the end of the day, I was just like, just give me the phone. You don't even have to pay me. This is my calling. And that's when my passion was ignited. That's when I really stepped into that zone where I never really work a day in my life because I love what I do so much. And that's helping people. So I'm a third party recruiter. I'm not an internal recruiter, which means I work with hundreds of different companies at one time. They'll come to me to go find the good talent. And so I get to have an impact all across the U.S. And it's so amazing.
2: Awesome. That's really one interesting, inspiring, insightful, all of the above, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and I'm going to that transition, that pivot, that, you know, realization that aha, which is scary, but also Mm -hmm. freeing at the same time, I'm sure. Um, Can you walk us through, like, what got you to realize that recruiting really was it like, I mean, you were on that shadow, but I'm sure there had to be something else that you saw or witnessed or, you know, a high that you felt, you know, after one interaction, you know, I'm curious to know what that was for you.
0: So in the world of accounting, you, you, you're alone a lot. There's a lot of solitude, right? You sit behind your desk. I mean, behind your spreadsheets, you're ticking your tie in, and you're really having to be in, in the moment when you're doing all that. And you're not talking to other people. You're not engaging a lot unless you have to go get a number. And then it's right back to your desk, right back to that spreadsheet. Right. And I think what really helped me when I was doing the shadowing, because I'm listening to, I've, I've got a um, another headset on. So I'm listening to every conversation that she's having. And I'm listening to the impact that she's getting to have with these people and the interaction that she's getting to have with those people. And I was like, that's, I mean, I'm an extrovert I, through and through. I'm an extrovert. I don't put me in a small office and close the door. I need people. And I think that's really the first thing I didn't know I was going to love recruiting as much as I do. Um, but just having that people interaction is really that moment where I was like, this is what I need to be doing. Got it. Awesome.
1: That makes sense. And, and I guess, you know, we, we, When we bring guests on the show, we don't, we don't, it's not like you go through this questionnaire where it's like, Mm -hmm. do you apply love as a business strategy and everything you do? Like, we don't, you know, like, 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 so I, I'm always curious to know, like, what, what is your take on, you know, where love specifically in your life or in your work or in your day to day, where does that show up? Where does that apply?
0: Oh, it shows up in every touch that I have with people because we don't want them to, um, we we want them to find like i said find that next role that's really going to get them excited and say thank god it's monday right and so there's been times when i have talked to people and once i hear what it is they're looking for and i they've gone to interview for a job and i start having those conversations with them and i hear those red flags and that hesitancy and i will pull them from the process and i don't do it because i don't want them to get that job i do it because i don't want them to get a job they're going to hate and i tell all my candidates that too i'm like i it is i don't want you to hate me at the end of this process i want you to call me your best friend and invite me to your baby showers
1: <laughs> are you are you how invested are you in the the company's culture that you're bringing people into right like so mm-hmm. like obviously we're always talking about that corporate culture that company culture and you're you're here placing people into these environments how involved are you how hands-on are you in that
0: so as far as creating the culture i'm not that hands-on pardon me but as far as exploring their culture to make sure that it is going to be a good fit for my candidates i am all over that and i can give you a couple of examples Um, one of my companies that i'm working with right now i've worked with for about eight years um, and when I first started working with them, they were in startup mode. They were doing, um, you know, going through an IPO going public. And then they also merged with their number two competitor that same year that they IPO. So it was horrible there. They were grinding their people to death, but here's what I did. i worked with them, but it was with the full disclosure that I was going to tell every single candidate how horrible it was going to be if they decided mm-hmm. to go work there. And they were like, that's okay, because we need them to know coming in. So they appreciated that. Well, fast forward, they ended up hiring an internal recruiting team. And so for about two years, I wasn't working with them. Last year, they came back to me. And I'm like, I, I'm, I'm not going to place people there if the culture is still the same. Because, I mean, there's been an awakening throughout this pandemic. People don't want to work in that. They know they don't have to work in that environment anymore. So if that's the environment that you have going on right now, I, I'm not your girl. And The uh, senior VP took an hour to explain to me all the initiatives they had put into place to create a culture of diversity, of inclusion, of, you know, of a place where people really want to come to work and where they have a clear path where they can grow, however they want that to be. That's up to them. The company's not dictating that. And so it's really been refreshing to re-engage with them on a different level and be able to say, hey, I'm excited about this company now instead of you don't really want to work here. You know, yep. but the other one that I was the example that I was going to give you is a company that I also used to work with a long time ago. And I ended up firing them. Well, they came back and that's when I was with a different recruiting agency. They came back to this agency and reengaged with another one of my recruiters. And I'm like, I'm not sending any candidates there. I know what that place is like. And, you know, I would not like you if you put me there. Yeah. So I'm not going <laughs> to put you somewhere I don't want to be. And so he's like, do you have any candidates for this? And I'm like, no. I'm not sending you any. Yep. So, so yep. yes, I do get involved in the culture.
2: <laughs> That's awesome. And so just a little bit, like I think we talked about this in, in the past, but I used to work, you know, through by way of acquisition for a large, um, I guess, international recruiting firm. And so I got exposed to a lot of the recruiting conversation and even uh software has worked, you know, as a partner with a number of recruiting firms, um, and, One of the things that we're seeing is that candidates are now willing to decline positions for great companies or large companies or Fortune 100 companies because of the culture. Mm -hmm. And recruiters are having to give that feedback now to clients, whereas in the past, that typically wasn't a point of conversation or, you know, I guess, a comfortable, comfortable conversation in the past where recruiters would have to tell a a client who had maybe a high paying position or, you know, had a name, you know, or brand name that people typically respected um, that the candidate declined you even though you wanted them. Um, I'm curious to know if you have had to have those kinds of conversations or it sounds like you are in the situation where having those conversations has led to you having to fire clients
0: yeah, and I really try to have those conversations on the front end, not on mm-hmm. the back end, because I don't want to waste anybody's time. So, yeah. but there are times like, um, and I am encouraging companies. you you got to move quickly in this market right now because candidates have about a forty eight to seventy two hour shelf life right now before they get multiple offers. Mm-hmm. Um, we literally just had a candidate call us. She had an interview at one, and she canceled at twelve an hour before her interview. Simply because she got an offer that she couldn't refuse. I mean, they just—they're flying off the shelf. But um, and I'm sorry, where were we going with that?
2: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the feedback um, around culture to employers and how you front load that versus you know waste people's time at the end.
0: Yes. Yeah, so I really try to. So I'm I'm out there visiting the company. I'm talking to multiple people. But see, here's the other thing. I also know where people are looking the most. So if I'm getting a lot of resumes from your company, I want to know why before I engage mm. with you. If you're having a mass mm. exodus, there's a problem.
1: Mm. I feel like this is like my own personal, maybe even like like stigma, if you will. But like when I think of recruiters, I often think of them like, I think of them in the, in the terms like old, old fashioned terms of like salespeople Mm -hmm. where it's like, you, you have to meet quotas. Like your objective is to, you know, it's a business. So you're obviously there to yes, connect people to jobs, but essentially, you know, for profit and make sure that you get people in the highest paying possible job, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that. And again, this is from my index. This is literally from my perspective of not being in that world at all. but you know, that that's something that's really interesting to me because the way you're talking about it, Casey, is like very, it's very human. It makes perfect sense. It makes, you mm-hmm. know, sense to put people where they'll be happy and things like that. Um, but it leads me to like kind of ask the question of like where where do you sense it harder? You know, where where's is, where's is the where does it get hard, I guess, to be human? Because we all have those elements. Like the reason love is a business strategy is needed is because business is often driven by those those numbers, by those bottom lines, by those shareholders. Um, and so at times, people find themselves at odds with doing, let's say, the right thing or the, the best thing because of, of of that need. Do you have those types of experiences and situations?
0: So I, I'm going to have to say no. <laughs> and, and you're right. A lot of the bigger agencies, they have built those empires off the backs of the people that work there by just browbeating them giving them those quotas. I've been in a place where you're like, you're making 300 outbound calls a week. You're having 10 interviews. You've got to have 10 send outs. I mean, this, 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 and this. And it's so very stressful, right? But here, and I think this is a switch with it internally, is you know I have my own internal rules. And my number one internal rule is to give value first. It doesn't matter if if I'm not making the company happy, if I'm not making money like I need to, if I'm not giving value first <clears throat> to the community that I serve, then I'm not living up to my own standards. So that comes first. And and I believe if you do that and you do it genuinely, that money will follow. And it's not that it's not failed me yet.
2: I love that, you know, standard. Um, and having been around so many recruiters, as you mentioned, there's good ones and there's bad ones. And mm-hmm. I still want us to go deeper <laughs> into, into good and bad recruiters. But I know that that oftentimes is not true um, for people who are trying to place roles. And like you mentioned, have those hard quotas set and they just need to meet those quotas. Um, but I'm curious to know, like in in the age of the great resignation, what is a good recruiter? What is a bad recruiter? And what's, what are some of the numbers that you're even seeing you know, around that?
0: So the numbers around good versus bad?
2: Uh, numbers around the great resignation and how that's changing things like from data perspective, but then how that plays into being a good or a bad recruiter.
0: And, and I think that the great resignation, I mean, we are all desperate for candidates right now because of that. That labor shortage is absolutely real. The standards and the criteria have changed for what we would call them a placeable candidate. And, and that's another thing. I, you know, I, there are certain profiles that companies will pay a fee to an external recruiter for, and there are certain profiles that they won't. Those are lessening a little bit more now that we are um, in such great need. I can tell you we're working on over 160 different roles right now throughout, you know, with all different Mm -hmm. companies. Um, but, But those numbers are real, and I think that a good recruiter, even though we're feeling that pressure of not having enough candidates, will still continue to nurture those relationships with the candidates that they do have. You know, for example, one of the things that I like to do with my, especially my new grads, the ones that are just starting out in their career, the ones that I know that I can have the greatest impact on is if I place, even like say zero to two years, okay? If I place them in a role, they're getting a gift bag from me full of books that I think they need to read to set their career Mm -hmm. on the right path. Mm -hmm. And so I think, That's an extra touch. I don't know uh, very many recruiters that would do that. And that's out of my pocket that I don't have an expense account for that. And, but I feel so strongly about the success of the people that I work with that I want to give them that little extra oomph. So um, I think there are a lot more, I don't want to call them dirty recruiters, but more, I don't know what else to call them really. (laughs) 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 There are those recruiters that they don't care about the candidate. All they care about is their pocketbook, right? All they care about is they. you walk in, you, Mr. Candidate, all they see is a dollar sign on your head. And those are the kind of recruiters you want to stay away from because they're going to tell you anything they can to get you to do what they want. And another example of that is, you know, I don't know if you've heard this before or not, Chris, but close on the first offer. Yeah. Well, why are we closing on the first offer if that's not what the candidate wants? Mm-hmm. What if they want to explore some other opportunities? Those are little games that can get played in the recruiting world that I think are mm-hmm. just awful. I think they're tacky because you're not putting your candidates needs and wants. And you know, this is going to affect your paycheck for one check. Mm-hmm. This could affect this person for years. Yeah. So you need to be conscious of that. And remember there, they are a person, not a product.
2: Yes. And also I think that, you know, while we were talking a lot, talking a lot about the candidate, the client's also suffering that too, because, yeah. you know, if it's not a good, you know, match, um, but on paper, it looks like a great match. And then that one conversation you had that you rushed through, it was a great match. And then you actually put them there. Like, is that client gonna come back to you for the next role, right? Exactly, um, and it's I think all about relationships. Yeah, um, so I, I completely agree. And I think that when it comes to um, this conversation, We do have listeners and, um, you know, viewers, if they're watching the video, um, who are in those either internal recruiting roles um, or who are, you know, sort of hiring managers that are, you know, looking for great talent. I'm curious to know what you would advise them to be looking at, thinking about or doing differently even than maybe what they would have done or been doing in the past before the great resignation, before this hybrid approach to work, before the sort of candidate expectations and preferences changing so drastically. um, If you've seen some things,
0: I I absolutely have seen some things and I think you guys are going to appreciate this because Mm -hmm. again, going back to that reflective period that everybody's had where they've learned, I don't have to put up with that anymore. Companies are really going to have to change their ways. They don't get to bulldog people into doing what they want. They need to think about what their people want. Okay, and that needs to start in the interview process. Remember, I mean, you're not the only one, the hiring managers, not the only one doing the interviewing. The candidates are now interviewing the hiring managers just as much. So it's so important that you are able to show them, you know, give them really good, solid examples of what your culture looks like, not just the words on the wall. It needs to be evident, you know, give examples. Don't just say, oh, yeah, we have a good company culture. How? Tell me how. (laughs)
2: Yeah, often I I would say that the interview experience should be a demonstration of your culture. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that's, you know, when I've been in interviews and when I, you know, instruct the teams is like how we structure this interview, the process, the communication, everything is a reflection of our culture yeah. and what we are standing for and what they should expect, you know, within our walls. Right. Because it's, it's the small things. It's, it's the interactions, It's how they're greeted when they walk through the door. It's, you know, what happens when they sit down? Who are we waiting for? Who speaks first? right? All of that, you know, sort of is, is encapsulated in that culture. And so many teams refuse to really sort of delve into that interview process, into that hiring process to see mm-hmm. if there's opportunities to really reflect the culture that they have inside of that and not just do it because, oh, this is what you've always done it. Or, you know, we're supposed to be very professional and super uptight and we're supposed to have a good cop and a bad cop. We're supposed to interrupt them, you know, throughout the pro- like those old ways of getting mm-hmm. talent in are still being upheld and you're like, ooh.
0: <laughs> And, and it's, I think we're seeing a lot more of the team interviews where mm-hmm. you get to interview more of them. And I had that, it, I've had it go really well and I've had it go really wrong, you know, and mm-hmm. I can give you an example of that. Yeah. We had a candidate that was interviewing with a company and he'd gone through multiple interviews with the hiring manager and then the um, hiring manager directly below that person. And they were, um, wanted him to come back and meet with the team. He is on board. It's 10 out of 10. He is loving this company, meets with the team. There was one person on the team that was completely toxic. He said, nope, no, Mm -hmm. thank you. Mm. Yep. But that's important Did you find that out ahead of time. Yep.
2: And I (laughs) I mean, speaking of this is like, to me, a lot of the takeaways are like, please be judicious about your hiring panel as an employer, like, please, please, please. Um, So many, like, as to your point about candidates being also um, interviewers, looking at Mm -hmm. who they're gonna be working with, who they want to learn from, who they don't want to be around, all of those things are being assessed. Um, Who you put in front of the matters, right? And and do they see themselves in certain, you know, places in the organization, right? We talk about D&I, right, like, you know, hiding people right is never a good thing but also it could make a world of difference to that candidate if they don't see you know someone who either looks like them or reminds them or is inspiring in a certain way that isn't about just hard skills Um, sometimes that is a missed opportunity that I've seen so many organizations just completely dismiss. don't think about for whatever reason right it's not Mm -hmm. always intentional I don't want to paint that picture um, but it's just, you know, I don't know if you have any of those other sort of ahas or, you know, hidden gems where it's like, just think about this and it it can actually create a world of difference for a candidate.
0: Well, and I think not just for a candidate, just but just for a culture in general. So, and I was just mm. thinking about this as you were talking. If there is that one person that you might not want on your panel with that potential new employee, maybe ask mm. yourself why. Mm. Yep. Because... <laughs> maybe that person doesn't belong (laughs) here. So,
2: (laughs) 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 yeah, no, I think that those, because to me, if you actually go down that path, you actually start to really think differently about like, Mm -hmm. wait, why would I not want a new, someone on the current team to be in front of a new hire? And if they are that problematic, like what other issues are they having? Mm -hmm.
0: What other places should they not be showing up? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Right. Oof. Yeah. We're, we're kind of dealing with that firsthand. So <clears throat> the only other thing that I would like to leave you guys with is um, <clears throat> I just ran across a report and this is and this is more towards the hiring companies that you're not in charge anymore. OK, I'm sorry, but you're not. The, this is a candidate's market. This survey was done by PwC and it said that 65 percent of um, the workforce is currently looking for a new job. And that number goes up if the company announces that they're going to make them come back into the office full time. <laughs> yeah. So people have proven they don't have to be in the office to get the work done, you know, and, and, but they do want some in office because they need that interaction. But mm-hmm. work with your people. Ask them what they want. Don't yes. tell them what they're going to do. Because mm-hmm. that's just not going to work anymore. And on top of that, just to kind of prove a point about I, that, I do absolutely believe this report is this survey is true. Is that right? Before I came on here, I was doing a search for one of my uh, clients, and the first thing I always do is I put in years of experience, and then I do um, I want to make sure that they've been at the company that they were with for at least one year. So I do years of experience. I get four point seven thousand hits. Too many, of course, but I haven't done all my other keywords. But I do the next one, and I say, I want them to at least been in their current role for at least a year. That number dropped to 1.6 thousand. Wow. That is incredible.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's just a testament to the times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. People are looking, and I think your message around, like, really, as a hiring manager, as leaders of a business, as, you know, potential um, sort of leaders of a business, like, it's no longer your game, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Like, and it's for so long, it's been that way. um, But changing that and, you know, putting out decrees and demands and, you know, expecting people to do what you want, just because you have a title is no longer going to be effective. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as we have the most diverse you know sort of across generations in the workplace like we have so many generations in the workplace at, at one time like it's it's only going to create you know further issues if command and control and hierarchy are the are the ways that we've operated in the past um and it's it's impacting the ability to bring in candidates for an interview let alone offer them something and then see those offers be accepted um so
0: it's just- and that they actually start on their first day that's another <laughs> thing we're seeing. Yeah. They keep shopping those offers.
1: Yeah. Wow. So, All right. It's tough. Last quick fire question for you. What is the most important question a candidate can ask in their interview to the company?
0: Um. Actually, I want to turn that around because I have a little technique that I teach my candidates. And so it's the most important answer that they can give. Mm-hmm. And, one, and, and it's really around that icebreaker question. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Right. And the reason that I think this is such an important question is because people are going to form and I can't remember how quickly it is, but they form their first impression of you, whether they like you or not within like what the first 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. And that's when this question usually gets asked. This is your time to shine. Make that good impression. And so I tell people to think about your answer to this to be like a commercial. okay? And the reason I use a commercial instead of an elevator pitch is because there's a couple of things about a commercial that keep us from changing the channel. One, they're short and sweet, and two, they have a hook, right? There's something that keeps you from changing the channel. And so what I want my candidates to do when they answer this question to build that rapport very quickly is I want them to take something off their resume that's not readily apparent. And I'll give you an example here in just a minute. And I want them to tell a story about it. I want them to engage. Think of it like their audience, and so, and the, and the analogy I give later is that I want you to be dancing around in their head when they're interviewing other people. That's how mm. strong this hook needs mm. to be. Okay. Yeah. I want you thinking mm. about it. Do y'all remember the commercial puppy monkey baby?
1: No, that sounds very familiar.
0: It was a Super Bowl commercial. Yeah. It's this weird creature, this puppy monkey baby that yes. walks in. And I, I saw it like 25 years ago and this thing still dances in my head. <laughs> That's a hook. Right. And so for me and the example I give to them, my hook would be um, in the tell me a little bit about yourself is so as a recruiter, networking is very important to me and I have my affiliations listed on my resume. Right. So I would start with, as you can see, I'm a member of Success North Dallas and also that I'm their chief of staff and I'm a member of several other organizations. But what does that really tell you? It doesn't tell you a lot. So let me tell you what being chief of staff for Success North Dallas means. It means I'm the first face that people see at each event and that I am the one that is making those connections and introducing the right people at the right time. I'm so good at this that people often refer to me as the networking ninja.
1: Networking ninja. Sticky. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I love it. Casey, I wanted to save a little bit of time to make sure you can share with the audience as well um, how they can reach you, how they can contact you or anything you're working on. So I wanna give you that space right now if if you don't mind.
0: Awesome. Awesome. I well, I do not sit still, I'm sure y'all can tell. Um, and my computer is slipping guys. I'm sorry. I'm having to hold no it. <laughs> um, uh, so I um you can find me on LinkedIn. It's just my name Casey Haston. Um you can also go to my personal website, caseyhaston.com. That's where you're going to learn about all the fun stuff I'm doing right now, um uh, my coaching, my media appearances, the podcast, but also coming in Q3, we I am launching a new journal. It's a journal slash planner that is going to be the be all end all of all journals ever, ever because they, it has everything you need in one place. So it's six different sections. It's got mindset, affirmations, efficiency, so your habit stacking, goal setting, productivity, and even finance.
2: Ooh, wow. That is. Uh, mega, mega sort of sandwich of all the things you need to keep your personal and mm-hmm. professional life super organized and together. Sounds awesome. That's awesome. And I've well, seen it, so it's awesome. <laughs> Casey, thank you
1: so much for taking the time today. We had a really, really great conversation here around this world that I'm not a part of, but you you make it, you, you kind of sold it to me. I'm like, maybe I should get into some recruitment. It's, pretty, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Good. It sounds great. You make it sound great. Um, Really, really appreciate the time today, Casey.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
1: And thank you to our listeners as well. As always, we really appreciate you tuning in. We do have new episodes every single week without fail. So please keep tuning in, subscribe, tell a friend. And as always, check out our book, Love is a Business Strategy, available everywhere. Chris, thank you for joining me today as well. Appreciate you being a co-host today. And with that, we will be signing off. See you guys next week.